grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the New Testament reading of 2 Corinthians, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, recently, Netflix released a documentary on the Redeem Team, the 2008 U.S. Olympic men's basketball team and their quest for gold at the Olympics in Beijing. Anybody watched it yet? I have. They were called the Redeem Team because of the previous team's shocking performance four years earlier in Athens when they did not claim gold. They got bronze. The Redeem Team is also a little bit of a playoff of the 1992 men's U.S. Olympic team, which was named the Dream Team compromised of some of the greatest basketball players in history, including arguably the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. That set the standard for NBA players in the Olympics and the expectation for the U.S. of always winning gold. The 2008 team was made of arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time as well, Kobe Bryant. And there was this other guy named LeBron James. Now, before those 2008 Olympics, Nike came out with this new campaign for LeBron James. LeBron James, also known as the Chosen One, also known as King James. And this campaign was called the Witness Campaign. And it was headlined by this 110-foot-high by 212 feet wide billboard that was located across from the arena in Cleveland where LeBron James played for the Cavaliers at the time. The billboard read, as you can see, we are all witnesses. Paying tribute to James and acknowledging the legions of fans around the world who are witnessing his greatness, his power, his athleticism and style of play. Now, it is this slogan that I want to focus on today. Because the question really comes down to is, are you a witness? But I don't mean to ask it in the sense of, are you a witness to LeBron and his greatness? Are you a witness to Christ and his greatness, his power, his majesty, his life? When we look throughout the history of the New Testament, we see a number of people who are witnesses to Jesus Christ. And not because of the things that they saw, but also because of the things that they witnessed to, the things that they did. And so we start with somebody like John the Baptist, who was the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. He heard the Father's voice. He saw the Spirit descend on Jesus as a dove. John called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Gospel of John describes John the Baptist like this. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Witnessing so that others believe. The next sort of witnesses we could turn to would be 
the disciples. They were called by Jesus, followed him for three years, and saw and heard his teaching, his preaching, his miracles, and a select few of other things. Peter, James, and John witnessed Jesus' transfiguration. They heard the Father's voice say, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Of course, this led up to what most of the disciples did not see. Because after Jesus' transfiguration, he started to make his way towards Jerusalem, where he would suffer and where ultimately he would die on a cross. While many of the disciples were hiding out, Jesus died. He was placed in a tomb, and the disciples remained hidden. But three days later, he rose, and Jesus appeared to the disciples. And you heard it in the gospel reading. He said, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. They would be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. As they saw him with their own eyes, they saw the flesh and blood, they heard his promise. Then he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And that Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And we find part of Peter's sermon from Pentecost in our New Testament reading from Acts today. And he said this, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. They witnessed of Jesus' death and resurrection. They proclaimed the good news that by believing in him, your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life. Through the Holy Spirit, they excelled in witnessing and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, you might be sitting there asking yourself, what does all of this have to do with stewardship? Or maybe you can already see my own line of thinking but today we also turn to other witnesses who were called to excel. In 2 Corinthians it says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Today we want to focus on that grace in, of giving in regards to stewardship. Our time, our talents, our treasures, and also our testimony, our witnessing. We know by the grace of God that we are sinners. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans chapter 5 verse 8. We are terrible sinners who have sinned against God and we deserve hell for our sins. Yet God, in his grace and mercy, sent Jesus to give up his life for us. In this unselfish, loving act, God made sure that our sins were forgiven, that we would be able to have eternal life. This is a gift from God, and there is nothing that we can do to deserve it. And that is what grace is. Getting what we don't deserve. It is unconditional, undeserved love. All of these blessings are for all God's people. And Paul, 
in 2 Corinthians, mentions the Macedonian churches as the ones who received God's grace. Nothing in heaven and earth or is or heaven on heaven or earth is greater than God's grace. And he has designed a plan so that you can experience in our limited human viewpoint the grace of giving. So maybe today the Macedonian churches can teach you something. These churches show you that, number one, your circumstances do not matter. Whether you have plenty or whether you have very little. Whether you make a great deal of money or no money at all. Whether you live in a mansion on the top of a hill or whether you live on the street corner. Your situation does not matter to God. The Macedonian churches were poor, yet they were rich with generosity. Paul indicated that they gave as much as they were able. And the power of the Holy Spirit pushed them to give even beyond their ability. In fact, they were so excited about giving to the Lord's work that they even pleaded with Paul and those with him to share in the service of supporting the saints, those who were going out and sharing the good news of Jesus with others. They responded with God's, to God's grace with giving themselves to the Lord. The question that maybe you can ask yourself this morning is, do you count the cost? Is there joy in your giving? Or are you too focused on how much money you actually give? Or how much time you have left over to give to God when you get to the end of the day or the end of your week? Do you find yourself saying, well, I got all these bills that I have to pay and I got to buy all these things and whatever's left over, you know, if there's any, then, then maybe I'll give that to God. Is giving financially a struggle for you? I mean, the same can be said of your time. Right? Do you say, well, you know, we have this game and we have this appointment and we have this meeting and we have this get together and we have this trip and, well, if I can't, make it to church, then, you know, that, that's okay. Or maybe if I can make it, you know, one time, you know, like that, that's good enough. Now, you might not remember this, but do you remember a couple weeks ago when I, when I gave you that little statistic, right? Coming to church one hour out of your week, remember how much of your time that actually is in an entire week? Yeah. It's not even one percent. It's a half of a percent, Yet how hard is that for us? How hard is that to come and give God our time? To give up any of our time during the week back to God? Many people limit themselves by counting the cost of what they give to God. And so as a result, they don't give more. Because they don't want to negatively impact their own life their own finances, their own comfort, their own future. In your faith life, in counting the cost, do you, you, do you lose that passion for excelling? Do you lose the joy in giving? Now the Corinthian church, 
that this letter was written to, they experienced much joy in their walk of faith. The people, Paul tells us, excelled in everything. They excelled in their faith. They trusted in God for all that he alone could give them. They excelled in speech, for they were a people that knew not only the language of the people, but how to share their faith effectively. They excelled in knowledge, studying and learning the words of the Old and uh, Old Testament, the words of Jesus, especially those scriptures that refer to Jesus. They excelled in complete earnestness, which meant that what they did was not out of something to gain in return, right? Their giving wasn't all about getting something back, but they gave with genuine hearts in love to God because of Christ. They did what they believed God desired them to do with joy and enthusiasm. Paul also mentioned that they excelled in love for those who brought them the good news of the gospel. The people who were sent to them, who were preaching the word of Christ to them. This gospel message was more important to them than any other message. And this message touched their hearts. And they knew and believed that Jesus was their only way to salvation. And then you get to the end of this verse, and Paul challenges them to also excel in the grace of giving. The grace of giving involves time, talents, treasures, and testimony. This is not something that is commanded either. This isn't a law. We see Paul saying in 2 Corinthians that he wants to test the sincerity of their love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. When you read this, it's almost like Paul is comparing the Macedonians to the Corinthians as a way to get a little bit of healthy competition going. I mean, maybe it's true. Maybe he, you know, shows one what the other is doing to see, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can do better. But Paul already indicated to the Corinthians that they were the first, not only to give, but also had the desire to give. His challenge for them was to continue doing that, continue on and finish their work according to their means, according to what they are able to give. Yet no matter what they do, no matter what any other group or any other church is doing, it is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ did for us. He is the one who became poor so that through his poverty, they, the Corinthians, the Macedonians, and you might become rich. And so we turn to Jesus, who is the one who gives us the model, the perfect model of giving his time, his talent, his treasure, and his testimony. Jesus gave his time. He gave his entire life. 33 years or so that he lived on this earth. He gave his life so that all people would have eternal life. He didn't say things to people like, oh, you know, go and take care of yourself and your family, and then when you're done with all that, then, then come and follow me. Or he didn't say, you know, when it comes to you, just, you know, let someone else do it. Or he didn't say, you know what, I'm retired. Or he didn't say, you know what, 
I've done my time already. He said, let the little children come to me. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one else is going to come in place of Jesus. If he stepped away, thought somebody else would come and do it, wasn't going to happen. Jesus certainly had talent. He was a carpenter by trade, lived, learned from his dad, his earthly father. But he also had the gifts of preaching, teaching, and healing. Being the son of God does have some perks. And he used his talents, not for his own personal gain, to exalt himself in the world, but for the glory of his heavenly Father, so that his disciples, so that all who were following him, so that all of us would believe in him. Jesus didn't have any treasures to speak of, yet when he was questioned about paying taxes, well, there was a fish that provided a coin to cover those taxes. Finally, Jesus gave his testimony that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, and he fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Messiah, which eventually meant that he would have to give up his life and die on the cross for us and rise again, fulfilling his responsibilities as the Messiah. Jesus gave his time, his talent, his treasure, his testimony, and he gave it all. And thus modeled the grace of giving so that his disciples, so that his followers might experience his grace. And here we are talking about how we can excel in the grace of giving. Now, when talking about the grace of giving, it's certainly easy to get stuck on the money part. So let me ask you a simple question. What holds you back from giving? What holds you back from giving? Maybe you do worry about paying your bills. Maybe you have a history of the church not using money to further the kingdom of God. Maybe you don't believe that God will provide for you. Maybe you are just selfish with your giving. Again, we're all sinners. Maybe you have much better places you think your money could go. As we've heard already in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul emphasizes that God loves a cheerful giver. That's what God loves. That's what he wants, a cheerful giver. The Corinthian people, who had so much in what they excelled in, had the previous year been cheerful givers. And now the challenge came again for them. Because sometimes challenges must be renewed and reviewed every once in a while, maybe on a yearly basis, so that you can be cheerful givers who excel in the grace of giving. Same challenges before you today. Now, I don't want to make you feel bad about any of your giving up until this point. You have the opportunity to use what we've talked about in these last three weeks, these last 15 days, to experience a radical stewardship makeover. 
rather than be cautious and conservative, you have the potential of making a huge difference in the way that you use your resources, in the way that you use your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony. I'm not going to tell you that it's easy, right? That you can just overnight, just you're great, just like Jesus. I mean, we're not. Jesus is perfect. We're not. And for most of you, it's probably going to be pretty hard to make any kind of difference in your life, to change your giving of time, talent, treasure, testimony. It's going to be hard if you do it even at all. But if you are putting your needs, your wants, your desires in front of your time, talent, treasure, and testimony for God, where is your heart really at? Where is your trust in the one who provides all things for you? Where is your faith that God will always take care of you in your life no matter what? Don't you want to see God's power and majesty and wisdom and plan working in your life? It reminds me of the story of the widow's mite. You know, that story where the widow puts these two copper coins that you can see here pictured, which is all that she had. She puts it all in. She gave it all. And, and those two little coins are worth less than a penny. Now, when I was over in Israel, I actually bought a, a widow's mite. You can see just how small and tiny it is. And I mean, certainly it's, it's valuable because there's not a ton of them around. But, but back in this time, this little thing was worthless. But she gave all that she had. And when it's all that you have, it certainly is a lot. Excelling in the grace of giving isn't just about giving money. And that's where I want to end today. We're going to end on the last one. And that's testimony. Because it is so important. Because God wants all people to be saved. And it is through the testimony of others that others are able to hear the word of God. That the Holy Spirit works faith in them. And that they can know the gift of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the challenge. If you're not telling others the good news of Jesus Christ, who will? Who will? God wants you to be a part of his team. And it's not the dream team. It's not the redeem team. It's actually the redeemed team. Because in his death and resurrection, Jesus has redeemed your life from the grave. And remember the testimony of Peter. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. The fact of the matter is you, we, are all witnesses. Witnesses to what? Witnesses to the true chosen one, the true king, chosen before the creation of the world, Jesus Christ. Witnesses to what you have seen and heard through the word and through your own life. And so you can excel 
in the grace of giving through your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony. Because Jesus, who excelled in it, is working in your life at this very moment. And to him working in your life, you are all witnesses. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.